Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Greg Rosenthal of the NFL Network joins me to break down the news about Jimmy Garoppolo, the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson trade, and which preseason storylines he's buying and selling heading into the upcoming regular season. But first, 30 for 30 podcast presents the longest game. In the spring of 1981, the Pawtucket Red Sox and Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game. Typically does not result in a 30 for 30, but this game went 33 innings. And over the course of those 33 innings, the two teams would make history. This episode features archival sound, an accidental treasure trove of the game's play-by-play broadcasts, and interviews with those who experienced it firsthand. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now here's Greg Rosenthal breaking down this most recent set of NFL news and his preseason storylines heading into the NFL regular season. All right, now joining me here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I am very delighted to have on as a guest, the master of nuggets, I think it's fair Mm. to say, preseason nugget champ, a man who consigned Arif Hassan to the nugget bin of history in his attempt to conquer the amount of nuggets this man put together for a preseason week what is the total i think 70 was the record this preseason yeah a man pushing the bar (laughs) beyond human limits when it comes to preseason analysis joining us today talk about some news breaking uh on monday and tuesday as well as stories he is buying and selling from this preseason it is nfl network's greg rosenthal greg how are you sir Good. I always kind of wanted to work at a fast food place that never had. I did work at Friendly's Ice Cream. So like oh, yeah. making nuggets, that's um, that's me living out a dream. And it's unfair. We shouldn't be um, smearing our friend Arif's name here. He's just got one pretty blah team to cover the Vikings. <laughs> I, I got all 32. So his nugget per team rate is like so much higher. How many nuggets do you think you could do on one team if you had to? <laughs> not 58. Definitely not. 58. Not. Not 58. I think there's there's some juicy teams out there that you could probably get six or seven. I mean, the like the more drama in the preseason, mm-hmm. the Patriots definitely had to leave some nuggets on the cutting room floor. Wow. Going on. I didn't realize you left. What's the maximum number of nuggets you could file for a preseason week if you had to? If you were just setting your mind to it, I am setting the world record. What do you think you could do? Well, I mean, if like my life depended on it, I could give me a number and I'll top it. I mean, I could make it happen. It's not just about the preseason, though. You know what it is? It's just my I used to work at Roto World and we used to read all the beat writers. Sure. To me, that's the best way to just know about the league. So most of it's not really from the games. It's more like the position battles that the beat writers are writing about during the week. And they're they're like the best and just taking their info and hopefully crediting them. Do you think about how hard it was? like back 15 years ago to get information on teams. Yeah, it was weirdly like an advantage for that job when I was at Roto World or or Pro Football Talk. But yeah, we had these are I had these RSS feeds. I had like my collection of RSS feeds Mm -hmm. and like Chris Wesseling and I um, would trade them back and forth. Oh, are you missing this? Oh, this guy in Green Bay just popped up. And uh, that was when information was free on the Internet, which was in hindsight, a big mistake from all those newspapers. But it Mm -hmm. definitely helped me out. (laughs) <laughs> that's the one sacrifice they made they said we're not going to exist in 10 years but greg rosenthal will thrive and post so many nuggets around the nfl um i really enjoyed that column i i think 
it's it's setting a bar from a writing perspective that may be concerning when it comes to content, but we will see where it goes next preseason. Thankfully, this preseason is over. We're going to talk about some of the preseason stories in a moment, but first, two news stories about transactions that we should probably discuss. I went on my old colleague Robert Mays' show at The Athletic yesterday, and about 30 seconds before we were about to start taping, Jimmy Garoppolo decided to stay with the San Francisco 49ers, signed a restructured deal, took a significant pay cut. Uh, I believe the base is $6 million. There's some playtime incentives getting it up to possibly, I think, somewhere around $17 million. So certainly the upside for a significant pay increase uh, if he does stay with the Niners and play a lot. But also, he's going to a spot where he's presumably now going to be the backup. So I want to know, Greg, from your perspective, what were your first instincts when you heard about the deal? And have they changed at all, having had sort of a, you know, a day or so to think about what this means for Jimmy Garoppolo and for the 49ers? No, it's all mystifying. And I've, I've sort of seen the covering their bases, like explanations after the fact. But I, I think ultimately it's like we give these decision makers and coaches a lot of credit for having some like big grand plan bill but you know what they're just like us at our job they're like making it up as they go along (laughs) there's no way this was the plan all along like to have him on a separate field that's the thing that really gets me is that they didn't let him play with his friends throughout august i like i can't imagine being there and i guess the idea was like well what if he outplays jimmy you know what if he outplays trey lance in practice and all the teammates know and i was Mm -hmm. like and i'm thinking if that's that big of a concern you really don't want to get rid of them and just from like a perspective of their team building like it makes sense to have them both Mm -hmm. if you're trying to win a super bowl it's just the way that they got here i think there was a report jimmy g like delayed his shoulder surgery in a way that because he wanted to stay which i don't necessarily buy but i do buy that they were caught flat-footed by his shoulder surgery and that was not necessarily a team decision and at that point they were like oh shoot we should have already traded jimmy g we might not be able to trade <laughs> oops yeah. oops we should have done that before we had the chance uh, that was the was it alex smith that got traded like like basically as the super bowl ended or even before the super bowl maybe that year to washington like, yeah, it was. It was, it was early in, in Super Bowl week. And we've seen that with, with these quarterback moves. I mean, there's sort of a deadline with free agency starting. And that's right when, you know, Jimmy G got the surgery pretty late in the game. I I just think it maybe speaks to larger dysfunction, Bill. And we've seen this in San Francisco. When cert- certain ownership groups keep having dysfunction between their coach and their GM and their mm-hmm. owners and their team presidents, and it happens over 20 straight years, I tend to think like, oh, is that happening again? And you definitely get those vibes from the Lynch Shanahan group. And to yeah. me, it's weird because I think Shanahan's probably the Jimmy G guy here. Right. It certainly seems to make sense. I mean, everything about the Trey Lance process has been weird, right? I mean, the the trading up for three first round picks made sense at the time. You figure, okay, this is what they're going to do. And then the reports of, oh, well, they don't know who they're going to draft and maybe they want Mac Jones and that kind of getting laughed at a little bit. And then they end up taking Trey Lance, um, the weird press conference that Kyle Shanahan gave the decision to basically not play Lance last year, um, which granted he had a broken finger. Um, but you know, early in the season, there were packages for Trey Lance and then Kyle Shanahan, who was a offensive genius, decided it was throwing off his play calling to bring him back in packages later on in the season, even when they did need help, maybe in short yardage. Um, and now this entire offseason of Trey Lance having the opportunity and now Jimmy G coming back, I mean, 
like on, on one hand, yes, like they're committed to Trey Lance as their starter, but this still feels weird. And like from a from a a let's have as many good quarterbacks as possible side of things yes it does make sense to have jimmy garoppolo on your roster when you can have him on what's a pretty reasonable deal more than you would pay for a typical backup quarterback but i mean the i don't know he's here, making what tyrod's making and teddy bridgewater's making i saw those reports that said he's like the highest paid backup in the league and then i looked and he's like no he's making exactly <laughs> what those other guys are making they don't have the kind of playtime incentives though right but on, on, on the base we never plays is going to make reasonable backup money um which is fine but when you look at it from the Niners perspective, like they have to know how this is going to be perceived. And, and I guess my question for you is, do you buy the arguments that have been made uh, by several people, including Mays, that this move reinforces how strongly they feel about Trey Lance because they oh, wouldn't what? resign Jimmy Garoppolo if they did if they felt like there was any real threat that Trey Lance would lose the job or lose the locker room if he struggled. No, I don't buy that. I, I'm that not is, sure I buy that either. That doesn't make sense. I'm not. I'm not saying that they don't have faith in Trey Lance uh, on some level, and that they weren't ready to get rid of Jimmy G. They they clearly were, uh, but I think the timing of it after a up and down preseason, and after seeing him every day in camp is certainly curious and you just can't the reason I think it's happening. The reason why it's so interesting is this team is a Super Bowl contender mm-hmm. that they were in the NFC championship. They, they, they were up by 10 points, right? Or was it mm-hmm. seven points? They were up by 10 points. Um, and that either one of them could lead them to an 11 or 12 win season. But if Trey Lance is struggling badly, Bill, there's like, I, I can't imagine that he would keep the job if he consistently struggles badly. I don't, expect that to happen but i also don't expect him to start 17 games just because he's only played what 400 500 snaps of of football Mm -hmm. in his life basically um and so expecting him right off the bat to stay healthy for all 17 games seems you know less less than likely Mm -hmm. and i mean you're you're now opening up that door in a way that i think you were not when you were going to get rid of jimmy garoppolo um in terms of having a locker room of people who have won a lot of games with Jimmy Garoppolo, where I'm sure there are people in that locker room who are going to be frustrated the first time that Trey Lance struggles, let alone the second time or the third time. And I'm someone who's pretty high on Trey Lance. So I'm not saying that's the most likely scenario, but there is that within the realm of possibilities. And like you said, what if Jimmy Garoppolo comes in for an injured Trey Lance and plays well? Like, does Trey Lance get the job back? I I think there's so many possibilities how this could go wrong or we could look back and say why did they do that that opened up a can <laughs> of worms they should not have opened as opposed to signing a more real signing tyrod in march and not having to come back on jimmy g i, I think there's just i think the way you put it of like this not being the plan for the entire time that they've been preparing to move on is absolutely accurate and, and i think that i can see why they made the decision they made but i also think it opens up so many possibilities for it to be a disaster. I, I'll always believe that he wanted Mac Jones, Kyle Shanahan, just because all the Shanahan whispers in the media were the mm-hmm. ones saying that he liked Mac Jones and that that started this whole thing. I mean, the Shanahan sort of historically, though, seemed to like waffle on quarterbacks. This same sort of stuff and drama always happened with with Mike Shanahan, too. There was always drama with his front offices. It was mm-hmm. kind of his undoing. Um, it is it's fascinating to me. But then again, I also think like, well, Bill Walsh traded for Steve Young mm-hmm. 
during Joe Montana's prime and benched Joe Montana multiple times, including at one point when he was healthy before he won two more MVPs in another Super Bowl. So it's like, I guess if everyone there could handle it, they should be fine. Yeah, that's fair. You also drafted Elvis Gerback, didn't they? They did. Yeah. They Well, they had Steve Bono there. I mean, that was that was where the heydays. Uh, yeah. And now but this is going to be a really fascinating thing. Jimmy Garoppolo has a no trade clause. There have been suggestions that the Niners could still trade him if everyone's on board. Um, his contract would be a lot more playable for a team that wants to go after him that doesn't have a ton of cap space. Uh, so let me ask you, I, I asked Mance the same question. Like, how many starts do you think Jimmy Garoppolo makes in 2022? And how many of them do you think occur in a Niners uniform? I'll just go th- three for the Niners, and that'll be on injury related just because that seems like a fair over under not that you're rooting for injuries i do think this team will be good enough that they can survive up and down quarterback play because they have Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of what lance will be he'll just be a different up and down than jimmy g but since i'm believing that this will be a good team i think ultimately it'll be lance's job as long as he's healthy because they'll have a winning record I i think it'll take them losing for for any real drama to happen what do you think the chances are that they look back a year from now and this was a terrible move. Ooh. And 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 it, it, are, are there <laughs> are the chances greater that it's a terrible move than it's a genius move? I don't think so. Actually, it's funny because as much as I'm making fun of the process and right. the the whole separating Jimmy on the separate field thing is the one thing that really stands out to me as ridiculous. Um, I, I don't think there's much downside to it. You, like you said, the upside, which is Lance balls out some other and they end up getting like a pick for Jimmy at w- right. in week seven, because you know, which is great that they even have that option. And and you're saying, what if like, would they regret it if the 49ers are terrible? Because Jim Trey Lance is terrible. It sort of justifies, you know, what they did. And as as Charlie Casserly often said on the NFL Network, the most important quarterback on your team, the most important position on your team is your starting quarterback. And the second most important position on your team is your backup quarterback, Bill. I was not expecting a Charlie Casserly reference, let alone an impression here. That sounded like he was from the 1920s. I think it's pretty good. I, I mean, I have to admit, I've broken that out on on my own uh, around the NFL podcast, but it's been a pretty, it's been a few years, but I get the point Charlie's saying. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I think the most likely scenario is he's fine. He plays two games. Trey Lance is fine. Not not incredible. Not terrible. Jimmy fills in. They're happy they have Jimmy, and then they pick up a comp pick for him after the season, which is fine. But uh, I just think it's a very fascinating decision. And I think it also tells you that there wasn't probably much of a market for Jimmy Garoppolo out there, given what I'm sure his agent was able to do. I mean, he had permission to talk to teams about trades. I assume that he also talked to them about what would happen if Jimmy got cut and what the options and what the, the contract would be for him on the open market. And it doesn't sound like there was a ton of interest because you figure if Jimmy Garoppolo had an opportunity to get a starting job elsewhere, you would probably prefer to get that contract or something similar from a team that's going to give you an opportunity to start as opposed to a team that is presumably going to have you on the bench to begin the year. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's absolutely right. Every Everything that you said. Why don't we just do that? Just Charlie Catcher the impressions and you saying I'm right. Everything I said was right. That's the dream podcast. <laughs> I mean, every me. once in a while, you just like Bill just hits it so far out of the park. It's like, can't top that. I mean, uh, <laughs> you nailed it. I can do it in a, I can do an impression of a uh, CBS or NFL network reporter from, <laughs> from olden days gone by. Um, but we will move on. Another and the third <laughs> most important position on your roster is your third string quarterback. He really did say that. So I'm not. Was, is that true? Yeah, something to that effect. Yes, it was. That's, it was an old canard he had. I loved it. That's why Nate Sudfeld is there. That's why he's on this roster, just in case. <laughs> um, let's move on to the news that broke this afternoon before we recorded, which was a surprising trade, at least to me. I know there's been some suggestions afterwards um, that this was kind of inevitable given their situation um, from the Saints camp, and and I think that's certainly fair given what might be happening there but it sounds like the saints and slot corner slash uh opponent irritant slash teammate irritant slash world irritant chauncey gardner johnson uh had decided to part ways that there was some concern about signing a contract um, extension after this season and so the saints decided to get ahead of that and trade chauncey gardner johnson to the Philadelphia Eagles of all teams who cut presumed starting safety Anthony Harris today. And this seems to make sense given what they're doing. Sounds like they're moving Truncy Gardner-Johnson to safety um, from his slot corner role, sending a fifth round pick and the worst of their two sixth round picks in 2024 to the Saints for CGJ and a seventh round pick in 2025. So Greg, a couple things to get to here. Let's start with this one. Um, you tweeted about this. I'm not going to make you defend your tweets on this show again, but uh, give us your thoughts on your initial reaction to this trade. Well, I have nothing to defend here. My take was like uh, your previous one is spot on. I don't understand it. I mean, it just they they got one of the best kind of hybrid slot safety defenders in the league for n- nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, I I am I'm flummoxed. I'm flabbergasted. And that, and I want to say like, OK, it's basically like a salary dump before they actually had to pay um, CD Deuce, which is what he likes to go by. What a great nickname mm-hmm. um, it, before they even had to pay CD Deuce a new contract. So it was like a sal. It was like a preemptive salary dump. Uh, but like the Saints have 13 million dollars in cap space. They opened up so much space for the potential Deshaun Watson move, they actually ended up never really spending it. So that even doesn't totally make sense. I've, I've done some digging to find out like, was he becoming a a problem behind Mm -hmm. the scenes? I I think 
I think it's safe to say he like wasn't getting the contract offer in New Orleans that he was hoping for. That's mm-hmm. obvious. Uh, and that maybe he wasn't happy about it, but I, it didn't seem to be rising to some crazy level. He had like a very brief hold in where he wasn't doing some activities, but then he was back practicing. I think he's a really good player and it's, I know it's a position of strength for the saints, but it just feels like I'm I'm missing something here. Mm-hmm. feels like that the Eagles are getting him at an incredible discount where if he was available, let's say in February, where when people all have their draft picks in their cap space, like, wouldn't you assume, Bill, he would go for a second round pick? I don't I don't know. I, 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 I would have guessed a two or a three. I mean, I know he's coming up for a contract, so that does reduce your value. You only have one year left on a rookie deal, and presumably maybe if he gets traded in March, he gets a deal as part of that trade. But I still think he's a really talented player. He's versatile. Um, you know, I, I know there's been some conversation about what he's going to play in Philadelphia. It seems like he's going to be more of a pure safety than playing in the slot i think his versatility would play up but i mean you know i i just look at what um you know i i look at sort of what even good slot corners have gotten in free agency and it's been eight nine million dollars a year if you even, even if he gets 10 or 11 you know i mean to me i think he can still be a valuable player my guess is he's asking for a lot more than that and maybe sure. that is that's where we're talking uh differently that he saw the derwin james deal not that sure. he thinks he's derwin james but that's a hybrid defender and that changes the market and the saints just just decided to get rid of him before it got too messy i it just doesn't make sense to me because like why wouldn't that year of gardner johnson be worth so much more right. than these picks I mean, right. it absolutely is. Even if you weren't going to pay him, I would just like hold your nose and s- see what's going to happen. Right. And like, these are the Saints. It's not like this is a team that's building for the future. This is a Saints team that repeatedly is trading future picks, borrowing from their future cap to try and win now. Um, so to, to me, the idea that they got a better offer now than they would have got waiting a year and even just having a play of the season and picking up a comp pick most likely in free agency assuming the Saints don't spend a lot in free agency next offseason, seems shocking to me. You know, it, it just seems like really misaligned with how they've run their team this entire offseason. And, and I think if they felt like this was an inevitability, I guess my question is why did it become an inevitability the day that they were cutting down rosters? Why wasn't it an inevitability in March or April when it came to negotiating this deal? That's that's the part that confuses me when it comes to when they were going to make this move, if they were going to make this move. Right. There was no threat, though, that he was going to sit out. That's the thing that, that gets me. Obviously, right. I'm happy that he's getting his money and, and, and maybe they felt that was untenable. I think it's happening partly just because of their roster, that they, they're getting a little overconfident. They signed similar-ish players in Tyron Matthew and Marcus May, who, who are different, but are also are versatile safeties who kind of go back and forth, you know, and they, they've they loved P.J. Williams. Justin Evans is a guy that I think is going to mm-hmm. make their roster that was a second-round pick for the Bucks and has been out of football for years that they like. So they just feel like they're deep there and can afford it, but that's, it still doesn't make sense to me. I always I just love this dude, too. Maybe it's because I'm an irritant. You, That's how you describe it. <laughs> I just like feel like you got to have one of those guys. That's an important part of any any podcast, any roster. Sadly, I'm the only person on this show, so I'm the irritant on the Bill Barnwell show. Uh, I I find this really interesting. And from the Eagles' perspective, um, it's interesting because they are going to, I sounds like, have him play more of a pure safety role. And 
this is a team I was talking about them yesterday on the podcast with Mays. Their safeties were maybe the weakest in football, and that was before they cut Anthony Harris. They signed Jaquiski Tart this offseason. He didn't make the roster. Um, and now it sounds like they're committing to playing CGJ as a safety and kind of having him learn that role or learn that part of their defense in real time. I, I don't know if he's going to play week mm. one, maybe. I would assume he's going to play week one in some kind of role, but I, I'm intrigued to see what that looks like when it plays out in practice, maybe the Eagles pay him like a safety and move him to the slot corner. Maybe they have him play that hybrid role. I, I, there's lots of things he can do, but I think I'm interested to see how it actually plays out when he knows the scheme, when he's comfortable as the season goes along. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, he was a little all over the place last year. I have to admit, like he started out giving up a lot of big plays um, and then kind of settled into who he is. Uh, and he's, He's played a lot of different positions over the years. I guess I give the Eagles uh, some benefit of the doubt, even though it was the previous coaching staff that traded for Darius Slay, but that was another trade at the time. I was like, hmm, well, that seems like a nice piece of business for the Eagles. And you look back on it, and they didn't have to give up a pick in the first two rounds for for Darius Slay, and it's worked out fantastic. And they, I think they addressed what was their biggest problem going into this season, which was their secondary between Bradbury and Gardner Johnson to get them both kind of late in the off season. Bradbury was a, a late pickup as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already was high on them. I already was, you know, overly optimistic about both of these teams, saints and Eagles, but now I'm even more overly optimistic about the Eagles. Our, our friend Mina Kayim said the Eagles have, I think a top five, possibly top three roster outside of quarterback. Do you think that's fair? Yes. Wow. Instant. Instant. Yes. Well, I I'm annoyed because your old uh, friends at Football Outsiders like said you know pick them to win the Super Bowl and like that was gonna be my move maybe oh. you know just like you know we're getting older, Bill. We've been doing this a while. Just you know pick for what pick what's gonna be fun. You're not gonna mm-hmm. get it anyway, right? Anyways, and to me, I w- that was something I would enjoy. So I was just like, let's do that. Have you ever got it right? In advance for the season starts, I got I had one. I had I had Chiefs over who they beat. I think I had that one too, actually, Bill. That's nice. so weird. The Niners. Uh-huh. I don't know I, if I, I had the Niners right, but I I remember I had the Chiefs before the season. That we probably weren't too far on the ledge there, but yeah. Um, no, right. I did, I'm never right. Remember well, that. That's fair. I I'm not gonna get this one right either. I've already changed my pick twice before the uh before the season starts i think i was gonna go bills over niners but the decision to keep jimmy garoppolo now has me worried about Mm. trey lance so now i'm not gonna pick the niners i think anymore i i with the thing with the eagles is like they're too deep it just seems so good i think they're they're a team and i've this happens to me too many times where it's like you spend the whole offseason you know i do these projected starters and you're just like looking at the too deep and you get in love with like teams that just have depth Mm-hmm. That their backups are better than everyone else's backups, whereas like that's not really what wins a Super Bowl. I mean, it's a nice thing, but it's, I think that's what the Eagles are are particularly good at, like filling every spot with with legitimately above average players. Yeah, if you could just be the Rams and just sign guys off of basketball courts and right, uh, exactly. guys the Browns don't want to keep around anymore, and just right, or you just have like way. Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, like that often is what wins the Super Bowl too. So.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Tom Brady is someone who used to play for the New England Patriots. As we talk about the preseason here, Greg, I want to talk about some topics related to Tom Brady and other elements of the NFL as well. And I'm going to start with Tom Brady's former employers in New England because there's report after report coming out of New England suggesting that the Patriots offense is a disaster. They have lost Josh McDaniels to the Las Vegas Raiders. Their offensive coordinator situation appears to be some combination, some mysterious combination of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who were respectively defensive and special teams coaches for the Patriots before leaving for head coaching jobs. I will ask you, Greg, to start this segment. Are you concerned about what the Patriots offense is going to do once the regular season begins? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, yeah. There's one t- there's like one team every year where the preseason is so bad and the reports are so bad that it does legitimately change what I think. And, and I think there's usually validity to it doesn't mean they can't change it or turn it around in the season. But I do think it's predictive when a team is a hot mess for a month straight in practice and in the preseason that usually they start slow and the process here just makes you wonder it's just so strange you know they were going against the raiders last week bill in in the joint practice in the preseason mm-hmm. and i was just thinking how like oh well that's the coaching staff that bill belichick should have it seems much better <laughs> <laughs> like not just mcdaniels who i think is a huge loss but the offensive line coach carm brasillo who did a good job uh, last year with the Patriots offensive line mm-hmm. is is there. And I think the Patriots want to keep him. And now the Patriots offensive line coach is Matt Patricia trying to install an offensive scheme that he has no history in. And like offensive line coaching is is vital. And oh, by the way, he's calling plays too. And the talent <laughs> is just okay. And then even on the defensive side, it's like, oh, they have Patrick Graham. He He was once from the Belichick tree too that would be mm-hmm. nice to have patrick Kim. and oh like uh mick lombardi like belichick loved that dude he's the offensive coordinator in in vegas and just i i do think the the coaching staff more than anything is is the is the part of it that makes what they're trying to accomplish in in changing their offensive scheme seem like that much more daunting that if you're going to try to change the scheme, it's like, okay, if they were bringing in Kevin O'Connell to be their Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator, that I'd feel differently than I feel with Matt Patricia. I think that's fair, Bill. I think that's a fair outlook. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you think about what Nick Saban does at Alabama and granted he has an unlimited budget and I guess the Patriots have an unlimited budget too, but he brings in all these different advisors, guys who have been fired from different places, all these different sort of perspectives on what might actually change their style on offense and not defense to some extent as well, but really on offense in terms of the people they bring in. Look at Bill Belichick's staff. It's pretty much entirely people who's either coach for him in the past or people who are related to him 
I mean, it's Patricia, Joe Judge, Troy Brown, Billy Yates, uh, Evan Rothstein, Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, Brian Belichick. Um, so many of those guys are either former players for Belichick or guys who have been there forever. Um, and I think that's the the thing that stands out to me is just it feels like Belichick is shrinking the group around him to people he trusts and not really getting new blood into that coaching staff that he might trust. Um, whether that's something where he just doesn't want to have to deal with tra- training new people or doesn't want to have to learn, like, like you know, teach people what he he knows, where he just only trusts a, a smaller and smaller group of people every each passing year. It just feels like he sort of entrenched himself and said, this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to make it work. And maybe that worked in years past when he had Tom Brady, when they had a better roster. But I mean, we've seen them cut multiple uh, third round picks in the past 24 hours from years past. They're, I, I posted about how they're, they're drafting at the very top of the draft and the top 100 has been pretty miserable over the past three or four years. Um, yeah, last year they had a great draft, but the three years in a row right. before that were as bad as you know almost any team in the NFL. Right, and that's that's a talent drain. You know that maybe in years past they could have compensated because they had talent from the past and they had a better coaching staff, but now it feels like it feels like they're getting squeezed. And I guess for me, I wonder if what happens here this upcoming season is that whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's more publicly, we see Bill Belichick play a larger role with this offense than he has in years past. I hope so. And I assume so. And that's why I, you know, before training camp, I, I thought, you know, the coaching stuff was maybe a little overblown mm-hmm. and because it, the two things I don't really doubt on him is his Belichick would be his ability to develop his coaches in new England. Like he's, he's great at that. You know, whether, whether Matt Patricia works elsewhere is, is a different question, but like mm-hmm. he's been good at making those decisions. And, and I don't think he'll change from being a, a really good week to week game planner and making life difficult for the opponent based on the game plan. And I think the defense itself is fine. But when you listen to guys who have been there for 20 years, mm-hmm. like Mike Reese, or for most of that time, like in Tom Kern, and for most of that time, like like a Greg Bedard, who are there every day who've seen practices every day for most of the last two decades. And, and they all uniformly, even Reese, who is as fair and balanced as like any team report, <laughs> reporter I've, I've ever seen. He, he's, he's the goat. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. And when he starts saying like, well, we haven't seen something like this, that like, it's just not working. There's mental mistakes. There's, there's uh, alarms and sirens being like lit off by these reporters just saying like, it's not working in practice then I, I put a lot of stock into that. And it makes total sense because all of that coaching staff um, development that I talked about, I think McVeigh's great at that too. I think it's such a skill to have in your head coach. It it works better when you've had that same system for 20 years. And Belichick's talked about, and some reporters have talked about it, that they, they really tried, they thought it got too convoluted over the last 20 years. It came from Ron Earhart in the 80s, and then Belichick updated it, and it's basically been that offense since Charlie Weiss took over in 2000. And they're like almost starting from scratch. And this just feels like (laughs) this is not the group to be starting from scratch with. made a very foolish mistake while you were talking of going to NBC Sports Edge, and they loaded up a a autoplay video, which I know when you were there, Greg, that would never would have happened. I'm just going to say that. And I, I don't like yeah i don't like you know there's some of those autoplay videos that just they bother me there 
there's like some loud shirts going on very often. <laughs> and and I, I'm just not into those particular ones. Um but I call it Roto World. Please don't use the other name. They're going. They're back. They're back to Roto World. That's fair. I will call it Roto World on your behalf. I, I agree with you though. I mean, I think there is, you know, there's legitimate concerns there at the very least. And like you said, the, there's few teams where we have a big enough sample to go off of, or we can say, okay, this is weird. This is abnormal. Um, and the Patriots are one of them. You know, like we have 20 years of, of practice data, 20 years of of GM performance, 20 years of coaching data. And granted, a lot of that was with a guy who solved a lot of their problems on the field, but it does seem very strange. And I think I, I'm I'm concerned. I don't know that I'm, I'm assuming they can't figure it out or that they can't get back to stuff that works. Right. They I, could pivot. I, I absolutely believe Belichick can pivot off, you know, something that doesn't work. But Tom Curran said something that I think was interesting that he thought Belichick would give up like a half a season or even a season if he believes that like making this change is the best thing for their long term offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, OK, well, we'll, we'll see. Certainly uh, elsewhere in the AFC East, Mike Gesicki has come into the spotlight for struggling at times during camp. Friend of the show, Doug Kide of PFF reported that Mike Gesicki was subject to trade talks after he had been franchised by the Dolphins earlier this offseason. Mike McDaniel has talked about wanting to use his tight ends more aggressively as blockers. So, Greg, are you concerned that Mike McDaniel trying to turn Mike Gesicki into a traditional tight end, perhaps into his George Kittle, is a red flag for what he's going to do with the Dolphins offense. Mm. Wow, that's a good way to put it. I'm going to say no on that. It just seems like they made a strange decision to franchise tag Gesicki. Like, I hate it when new coaches try to fit parts into into their new offense instead of adapting to the talent around them. And that seems like that's what's happening in this particular case but i also like like the other moves that they made and just the speed that they have and i i don't think it means the rest of the offense is gonna torpedo i just think they maybe made an odd decision with kasiki and that he would have a market if you know it because he's a slot receiver he's just not a tight end he literally he even said it like he's learning how to play tight end for if you look at the majority of snaps he took over the last two years, the vast majority are just as a slot receiver. He's he's Nate Tice's power slot in a nutshell. Um, and that's not that I guess that role is just not in Mike McDaniel's offense, which is fine. It's just why did you decide to pay him $10 million if if he ends up just being kind of like this sixth receiver that they barely use? It's not the end of the world, but I would think another team could use him better. Do you think he gets traded or do you think his, his contract is too onerous for him to get dealt? No, I thought it's a very tradable contract. I mean, I'll be proved wrong like in, in a matter of days if he's still on the roster week one, but he also could get traded week five or, or six. I actually think a one-year $10 million deal, it's a little under that, is quite tradable mm-hmm. You know, because there's no long-term commitment. There are, To me, are there are a lot of teams out there that could absolutely be better tomorrow with Mike Kosicki. The Cowboys come to mind, although they'd have two franchise tag tight ends, which would be bizarre. Uh, The Packers, the Panthers, I'm throwing out teams that do have the cap space to do it. Like there are teams. I think he could, he could help right away with like no long term term commitment. Can I ask a dumb question? Are they, they, would the Cowboys be allowed to have two franchise players on their roster at the same time? That's not a dumb question. I don't know. 
The answer is probably no, maybe, actually, now that I think of it. But I have no idea. This is what happens when we just spitball on a a podcast. I don't know. I don't know if that would be allowed. Um, So maybe that one wouldn't make as much sense, and they probably would spend their money at tackle if they were going to spend. But there's a lot of teams, like the Browns um, Mm -hmm. have way too much cap space. I've really come to the belief that having a ton of cap space that you don't spend is is a missed opportunity. I kind of don't get it that like that as like a matter of course, I know it, some of it rolls over and all mm-hmm. that stuff, but like spend it. Well, yeah. I mean, it just seems you're all, weird. You're all getting rich. Owning these teams. <laughs> the Browns have spent a lot of money this off season, I believe just not a lot of cap space. Um, we can speculate why that is and what, what contract might be unique to lead them to not use a lot of cap space, but that's another conversation. Right. But there was like this day. whole idea that, Oh, like the smart teams are really, you know, rolling over cap space every year. And that's changed. Like I've seen that change because I mm-hmm. think teams realize like smart teams like the Eagles and Rams and the Patriots for the most part, a lot of teams are spending to the cap yep. every year. And it's like all those teams that were rolling 50, 60 million dollars every year, like it will, it's a it's a co- opportunity cost. And mm-hmm. for the most part, teams don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, I agree with you there wholeheartedly. Uh, talked about teams that might be interested in Mike Gesicki adding a, a tight end who can move. Another team that has a tight end apparently who can move are the Baltimore Ravens, who have a desperate need for weapons behind Mark Andrews and behind Rashad Bateman. Their third receiver situation has seemed like Devin Duvernay, James Proche could be in the situation uh, heading into the season, but we've seen someone break out during the preseason that's coastal carolina product isaiah likely so greg asked someone who has been grinding preseason <laughs> do you believe isaiah likely is going to be a meaningful part of the ravens offense and if not do you think they add a receiver in the days or weeks to come i do think they'll add a receiver but i'm all in on uh isaiah likely wow. first of all it justifies that i watched the hall of fame game <laughs> And that would be the second straight year where like something happened useful in the Hall of Fame. Wait, was were the Ravens not in that game? I'm thinking of the Ravens' first preseason game. I'm I'm mixing um, my examples here. Uh, Trayvon Walker though uh, was in that game, yes, and I think Jack we West got something Raiders. in in, in Michael Parsons the year before. Uh, I guess I'm justifying watching the first Ravens preseason game. Um, and uh, and Isaiah Lakely was great in that. He was great in the other two. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. He moves in a way that just like I feel like translates for a tight end that at worst he's going to be like a really good rookie tight end that is you know catching 400 500 yards that type of production maybe he could do better i think the opportunity is there just because there's not other hand uh, you know and not other pass catches but i do think the ravens will be active they, they're reportedly picking up Kenyon drake to add to their running back room and i think they'll probably add some receiver that we've heard of in the next few days even if it's not like a game changer follow-up question do you think the ravens are going to be more of a run heavy team than they have been in years past than they were last year will be more like 2019 and 2020 offense than the 2021 offense yes i do think that sort of hype makes sense you know when they drafted linderbaum i think that could open up different things in terms of you know some more zone running but i just think they're they're leaning into their strengths, including their play caller. Like that's, that's kind of what Greg Roman does the best is come up with this stuff. And he's got the best guy to do it with, with Lamar. And I, yeah, I do think that they'll, they'll, it'll be a little bit returning to their 2019 
days. Returning to 2019, returning to the past, another topic here. What about Geno Smith? Greg, do you believe that Geno Smith is significantly better than Drew Locke based on what we saw from the preseason? Yes. I mean, I, I'm almost insulted, though, just the, by the tone of your voice. Can we can we talk about you trying to pass off Geno Smith on Steven Ruiz on Twitter? Well, no, it's more I've been carrying the Geno flag since about 2015, mm-hmm. 14 on our podcast. The way he ended that 2014 season, saving Rex Ryan's job before Rex, you know, threw dirt on him um, over the last handful of years. Meanwhile, Geno's, you know, NFL career still going. Mm-hmm. Rex is uh, not. Quote um, just saying. Works with ESPN. That's better than working for I get it. Though. I'm just saying. Um, I think Gino's always had a chance to be better than people think that he's like a, a passable replacement level starting quarterback. And then maybe there's even upside for a little bit more. And we just haven't even seen it. Um, I think if he produces like he did last year where he started three games and I would say kind of played at that level. I mean, the numbers were surprisingly better than you think it was like five touchdowns, one interception, 7.4 yards for attempt. He had that Jaguars game. But I think if you watch it, you just kind of look like, Oh, he's a solid backup quarterback that like won't kill you. I think that's significantly better than Drew Locke. I'm going to read this quote to the people. They can decide how this was quote unquote, replying to the Steven Ruiz. I'm so proud that I feel like I don't need to talk Gino anymore, that you've got this from here. This is like you inviting a friend over and like going to your garage and showing them a table and then being like, oh, cool table. And you wanting to get rid of this table for years being like, oh, no, you could take it. I don't feel good about this narrative at all. It's like you put the tweet out there. It's like you've been trying to speak truth into the universe for years. You've been trying to teach the young pups in this industry, like what you've learned <laughs> and what you know, and you see someone taking the the torch from you and like living on that legacy in an even more dynamic way. And you just can't do anything um, but be proud. It's like the opposite of what Tom Brady did for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like- <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, we have two more here. Let's go to Kenny Pickett and Pittsburgh. Do you think Kenny Pickett's preseason performance means he will either be the week one starter or starting very quickly in Pittsburgh for Mike Tomlin? Good question. What do you think? This is my way of this. Um, this is not. This, I'm not. I'm not on around the NFL here. I am on the Bill Barnwell show. I know, but I didn't I even get your. G- I didn't even get your Geno take. I want you apologizing when they like win eight games and Geno's fine. Oh, like, this the scary thing is, I kind of think they can do that. Like, I don't want to put it on the record, and like the podcast counts as not being on the record. I think they could win eight <laughs> games for sure if they get yeah. competent quarterback play. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, there's there's a lot of other good things there, including two amazing receivers. I think Pickett made Trubisky's leash much shorter. How could mm-hmm. he have not have? I think Mike Tomlin, when he speaks about Pickett, that convinced me more than anything. He's just like, <laughs> he literally said, like, what Kenny Pickett has you can't teach. And I was just like, oh, man, he loves this dude. And I think <laughs> he sat, he sounded like it, too, after they drafted him. I, I think Tomlin was all into that pick. Mm-hmm. I think he was really happy that Pickett lasted that long. And I think the preseason and his quote, like, I hate using the word gamer, but I, I think that's like what Mike Tomlin would use, that Pickett's the quality of being a gamer, that he was mm-hmm. probably better in those games than he was in practices. Um, 
speaks volumes. And I think if Trubisky didn't play pretty well, like he'd be the week one starter pick mm-hmm. it. And even now I'm not totally ruling it out. We haven't usually when I, my, I sort of have a rule, like when the coach doesn't tell you it's almost always the young guy who's getting the job. So mm-hmm. I, I'm in, I haven't totally closed the door on, on week one starter. What do you think is the percentage chance he is the week one starter as we record the show? Man, now that I'm saying it, I'm going to say it's 54%. And I okay. in the the, re, the only reason I'm not saying it's higher is because everyone around the team says it's Trubisky, mm-hmm. or they think it's Trubisky. But they were also the same people that said Pickett had no chance a couple of weeks ago, and now it's, it's pretty clear. I think Tomlin is all about making a statement sometimes, and I, I think that would be a pretty bold statement. They start Bengals, Patriots, Browns on a short week, and then the Jets in week four. Mm. I wonder. I wonder if it's week four. You know, four maybe. I gotta say, Trubisky did did really well in the preseason too, with a terrible offensive line in front of him, and that's why the conventional wisdom is like, why throw out the rookie behind this terrible line, especially when I think Trubisky did about as well as he could in those games. If Trubisky hadn't played well, I don't, I don't think it'd be much of a conversation. I mean, I have some bad news. The offensive yeah. line is bad, and it's going to be bad through the end of the season. So right, like, right. if you're going to play him at some point, might as well get him out there early because it's, he's going to be behind a bad line whenever he gets out there. Like There's no avoiding that, unfortunately. Uh, and I know Tomlin wasn't there, but so I guess this point is, is moot, but you know, Ben Roethlisberger, like, and he, he didn't start week one, did he? I'm trying to think back. No, I don't. I uh, think he, he didn't. He, he started like week three or four. I remember Alan Fanica was like very mad about Ben Roethlisberger coming in. Like he was like very dismissive, like, oh, this rookie just thinks he can come in. And then they. And then not good. lose another game until the AFC championship. Yep. Or, or, you know, that was how it worked. It would be a statement, but I might, I, I'm changing my percentage as I'm saying it. I'm wow. trying to make the point that it's higher than people think, but I'm actually going to go. 45 percent and that it's a little less than 50%. i i was gonna say 40 so i i feel okay. better with you yeah. dropping your prediction down closer to my prior here i appreciate that um i will give you one more and then we will wrap up here on the bill barnwell show let's talk about the kansas city chiefs who trade tyree kill this offseason add a bunch of plate people juju smith schuster comes in they draft sky Moore. um they bring in Marquez Valdez Scantling. They sign Ronald Jones, who may make the roster, may not make the roster. Who knows at this point? The idea after trading Tyreek Hill, after the frustrating times of 2021, is that the Chiefs might run a more conventional offense in 2022. Do you buy that? I do. Now, I, I sort of bought that last year after they changed their offensive line. And if I don't know if you remember this, but in the preseason last year, they like Nate Tice and myself too, were like getting all excited. They're like running some I formations or doing some like different, yeah. like power looks. And then they, they didn't really do that in the season, but I do mm-hmm. think it fits their personnel. And you did see a little more of that. And I, I do think they're going to come out different. I, not that Andy Reid didn't adjust during last year. Um, but I, I just don't think you're going to see the usual chiefs offense. And I, I do think it'll be, I don't know if conventional is the word because Andy Reid's always creative, but I, I do think the running game will be a, a bigger part of it. And just the, the Chiefs offense we've seen under Mahomes and, and Reid will will evolve. I, I agree with you, but I do think that at their core, they're still going to be more similar to the offense we saw last year 
or the year before than the one like they're not going to run like the 2003 Eagles playbook. Like it's not going to be some, you know, some West Coast <laughs> offense that Donovan <laughs> McNabb was running. Uh, no, I, but I just think maybe it's maybe it's that they'll just be even more effective when they do run because I just right. think they're built for it and their line is good and that okay you're right but they'll they'll be sort of like the reverse of the Seahawks when they were just such an efficient passing team even though they were a run first team that they'll be an extremely efficient running team even if they're still ultimately like an Andy Reid pass first team right and, and I think the question is when they run what are they running not just the run concepts but are they running RPOs or are they running design run plays where Mahomes can't check out of it I, I think about there was a play in the Bengals game. It was like a third and two or a third and three. And they faced literally a three-man box. And mm. they and they still threw the ball. And I think Andy Reid, no matter what how happened? much he wants to throw the if ball. Was, just tell me what quarter the in the game that was. And I guess I would know <laughs> what happened. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't one of the first two quarters. Okay. So then, yeah, I know. You know what happened on that play. I think Andy Reid is much as much as he wants to throw the ball and as much as throwing the ball is the right move most of the time. Like I think they want to at least be conventional in situations where they can gain an advantage by being conventional. And, and I think that is a, that is something I think they want to be prepared for. I don't know that they're going to be a conventional offense. I don't think they're going to be like top five when it comes to neutral down pass rate, but they just might not be number one by a significant margin um, the way they were a year or two ago. Right. And I don't think you can only be so conventional with Mahomes as your quarterback. And Re Reed used to be a guy who would kind of like blow the league away with what he would come out with in the first month of the season. It's like <laughs> he very often was a, a step ahead in September and, and they often started fast. And I, I'm very curious. And I, I wouldn't say that's been the case exactly the last mm -hmm. few years, but I'm very curious. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case this year. I'm very high on the Chiefs. Um, but I'm, I think I'm always going to be high on the Chiefs. I, I used to do this thing where I would just pick the Patriots and Packers to win this, to make the Super Bowl every single year because it was Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And I still feel the same about, I put the Chiefs in that category as long as the rest of the, you know, the roster isn't some big concern. And, and to me, it's not. And I think the defense is going to be, is going to be interesting this year too. So I sort of, they're, they're my AFC pick barely. I think you can make the case their roster is better this year than last year. Yeah, I like I I've heard good things about Frank Clark, who's just been a total zero for them and probably wouldn't be on the roster if not for his contract. And mm -hmm. supposedly he kind of looks back to his old self. And you're right. There's a lot of young players like Nick Bolton. They might have finally found an off ball linebacker there. Their their secondaries, you know, compelling. Um, I I just like not that anyone's doubting the chiefs that much, but overlook them. And in, in, I, I, at your own peril, I just have a hard time saying like, they're not still the favorites, even if the bills and, and the chargers are, are right there. Charles, we snuck in a chargers reference right at the very end of the show. Football Twitter will never die. Putting the chargers who did not even make the playoffs last year on the same I level. Know, but that rod, I mean, talk about, those. they're like the AFC Eagles because you look at their roster and you're like, how can this not work? How can J this not be? JC Jackson is already hurt with a mysterious injury. Don't put that on them. He's supposed to be back he, soon. And for the most part, they're healthy. For the most part, they're healthy. I'm, you know what I'm happy about that we haven't talked about like some team that's already been super devastated by injuries. That's true. Um, I, I don't want to like jinx it. Um, but for the most part, this has been 
a relatively injury-free training camp. I mean, I know there's a, a bunch of exceptions, but compared to to most, I feel like the Sean McVay effect is really taking hold where no one's playing and getting hurt. I, I know there's a bunch of exceptions. Has never worked for any argument on the internet ever. You are going Because well, someone's so going to be like, oh, what about Tyron Smith? He's a great player. <laughs> it's like, I get it. I'm saying the volume of in, important players. It, I, I feel it seems like it's a lot less uh, of injuries. To be clear, that wasn't Charlie Casserly complaining about it, correct? No, that was just like Cowboys fan three six two nine on Twitter. <laughs> That's good for him. He got a. What a about Zach low Wilson? He he got hurt right away. It's like okay, well, he'll be back. I want to do a podcast with this character. Is that possible in the future? <laughs> It'd be fun. Yeah, Greg answers his demons. <laughs> Greg answers his demons. What a great podcast idea. Well, sadly, I need to wait a few months now to have you back on until we can do that show. But until then, whether people want to listen to your character work, whether people want to listen to your football analysis, where can people find mm-hmm. the, the great work that you do, Craig? Around the NFL podcast, it's rolling three, four times a week once the season starts. And we're also back with Game Debut, which is a fun show I do on Fridays where we kind of pick the games. We talk lines patrick claybon on that show rachel bonetta cynthia freeland so that's a different fun little mix on fridays awesome and you're a writer as well you occasionally I do write too on yeah, the side I write thousands do, and thousands of words picks. yes greg it's always a pleasure thank you so much thanks bill all right thanks so much as always to my friend greg rosenthal former boss of mine at roto world a man i have known for well over a decade, one of the best in the business covering the NFL. Strongly recommend to check out Around the NFL, of course, one of the best podcasts on the NFL out there, and read Greg's work as well with the NFL. Strongly recommended in every possible way. Hope you guys are enjoying the offseason. I say that every week, and it's the last one because next week the NFL season starts. It's crazy. So much has happened over the offseason. I hope you guys have enjoyed your summer It's over now, apparently. We are back to fall, back to football. One more preview show next week, early next week, probably, and then we will be back on the season-long kick. I think one show a week during the season again. So we'll be talking about the NFL season as it goes on, all the trades, all the injuries, all the rumors, all the game action. I'll be appearing on Pablo Torres, ESPN Daily as well during the season, so hope you guys can check me out there as well. Plenty of football to talk about, plenty happening. We'll break it down all here on The Bill Barnwell Show. So thanks so much for listening, and more football on the way.